Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. He scored with his left. He scored with his right. Joe Bryan went to Wembley and scored twice in one night. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And once again, we are PLP, a Premier League podcast. Welcome to the show. I hope you've managed to compose yourself after last night's playoff victory. Brentford won. Fulham to a magic night at Wembley Stadium as Joe Bryan scored twice to take us back to the top flight. Loads of reaction on the podcast today and I am joined by the founding member of the Joe Bryan Book Club, Ben Jarman. How you doing? Yes, I'm doing really well. We are Premier League. Hello everyone. A man who hasn't logged off of Fulham Twitter since 10pm last night, Drew Heatley. Joe Bryan is my lord and my saviour. <laughs> and Fulham's poet laureate Jack Collins. How Hello, you doing? listeners. We are Premier League. Say so we are Premier League. Oh my God! So much to get through in today's podcast. We beat Brentford in a playoff <laughs> final. It does not get better than that for a Fulham fan. Um, Jack, before we do some three-word reviews, I was walking over Putney Bridge last night um, and I got caught up with all the Fulham fans. I think we're getting uh, swept out of Craven Cottage and there was like, it was actually all very amicable, but you basically just had the police just like guiding people over Putney Bridge. Traffic had stopped. It was mad. The amount of people that came up to me saying, oh my God, Jack Collins' poem, Jack Collins' poem, Jack Collins' poem was absolutely sensational. So uh, a quick nod to you because it was a brilliant, brilliant effort. Um, so so well done on that. Mate, very much a team effort. You you directed it and Luke with that absolute fire edit. So, um, you know, it's, it's easy to be the man in front of camera when you have that kind of backroom stuff, if you will. Um, Jack, what were the three word reviews saying? There were absolutely loads last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought David Kettlehake's No Average Joe was very much uh, right up there. Uh, Richard Bamber with a That's Tactics Thomas, which, uh, which I very much enjoyed. Um, Paul Budd with the, the one we were looking for, Life of Brian. Um, and then I, I really course. enjoyed Mark Mandel's Beam Us Up Scotty. And he's put us up in um, as one word to, to get through the thing. <laughs> very, very clever. <laughs> And then perhaps uh, Rick Cardis with the, with the best of the lot. We're joing up. We are joing up. So we, we are, are joing up. up. Let's come on to the game last night. Um, we'll kind of start at the end, if it makes sense, Ben. Just your emotions after that final whistle. Um, talk us through that final 15 minutes when Joe Bryan stuck the ball in the net, made David Ray look like a twat, pulled his pants down uh, and sent us to the Premier League. Uh, I, I would say that it was unbelievable for me. I was out of my seat in my living room, screaming the house down. Um, I had a friend with me who just looked absolutely terrified. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I transformed into someone I'd never been before just because I was running on nothing but adrenaline at this point. Um, I'd slept about two and a half hours the night before. I'd been to the gym to try and relieve some stress. I had nothing left and I was just on the floor screaming blue murder like a, a spoiled six-year-old but it was absolutely unbelievable both of those goals um made me achieve a level of happiness i haven't really felt uh since before lockdown it's just unbelievable 
Um, Drew, uh, did you wake up Casper with your celebrations last night? <laughs> we went in the garden, so luckily we kept him asleep. But my little niece Marnie was with us, and she's only three months old, and she woke up certainly when Joe Bryan whacked in that free kick, and at full time as well, her eyes were open, bless her. But you know, sometimes you can't you got to hold it, you can't hold it in. You know, it's play playoff final win. Yeah, talk about the feeling when the full time whistle went and. Fulham are back in the Prem and we've done it in the best way possible, putting Brentford back firmly in their place. It's, it's, you, can't, you can't believe it, can you? I mean, it, it, after all of the talking, after everything, and we're saying behind closed doors, football is football. Uh, it, you know, it, that's exactly what it was last night. You know, we're going to live on that for the rest of our lives, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to dine out on it, Jack. They went, they'll still probably go on about the 4-1 at Craven Cottage, but we will always have this result in it's, our armour forever. It's, it's completely irrelevant. All of that stuff that happened, all of the things, the the 4-1 at our gaff, the Jota in the last minute, all of it is irrelevant now. It just completely and utterly pales into insignificance based on how big a result last night was. And look, I know when Billy said on the pod before the the playoff final that it was about the occasion. It was about the fact that they were there. Everything went perfect. I was like, I, I don't mind. Anytime anyone tries to bring up anything like that again, I'm like, do you remember when you like Sky tried to force you into the Premier League and you still managed to bottle it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can get it right up him, can't he? I oh, absolutely get him right up. And and just like, just a quick word to Emiliano Marcondes, who I'm actually going to dress up as on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I just love to know what he was thinking. What an Egypt. Like, he's basically, basically just written our halftime team tour or, or, or pre-match team tour for us. You have to be some kind of idiot to do that, to give someone that big of a stick before the biggest game of your club's whole it's, career. Especially when you're on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> but this, is, this, is exactly what it, this is exactly what the lead-up was during the game, wasn't it? You know, Brentford were, were always riding this, this emotional sort of wave to Wembley, but they, they had that sort of uh, piss and vinegar about them that we didn't have when we had our emotional wave to Wembley under Slav. And we were there just just calm, collected the veterans of the piece. And that's how it played out. And it's exactly how I expected it to play out. It doesn't mean I wasn't nervous, but I, I just knew that, you know, you had these, to steal a quote from Sir Alex Ferguson, they are the noisy neighbours, except unlike City, they haven't backed it up. <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? They may go on next season to achieve success, but it doesn't really matter because the one game it came down to, we won. And, and Jarms, it felt like we were the dominant side throughout most of the match. Brentford had their spells. It was a very tepid occasion. It wasn't one for the neutral, but it did feel a bit like our big game experience did help us in the end. You know, I felt like this is the the prime game where you have to give Scott Parker immense plaudits. We clearly had one game plan uh, and we executed it absolutely perfectly. The way the team achieved such balance against an attacking threat uh, that, that Brentford have, obviously, you have a, a guy playing up front that scored 25 goals uh, in Ollie Watkins. You have the, the BMW and we, we nullified every single one of those threats. We looked incredible out of possession. When we had possession, we broke well. And I think you have to say Scott got it bang on. And there are two massive games that we he's got bang on this season. It was the Leeds at home. Uh, where where they threatened to romp away from us and, and we won, and then obviously it's it's today it was yesterday sorry in in that playoff final when the big occasion comes he's got them right both times and for all of his drawbacks that we've highlighted across the year the the losing runs where we've lost three or four matches in a row 
well, they've all been highlighted, but they, he deserves massive plaudits for the performance that him and his squad put in last night. And the interview after the match, I think I was probably more emotional listening to Scott holding back mm. the tears for five minutes than I was when that full-time whistle went like, what a bloke. Um, and you can see the outpouring of love for him on Twitter. Yeah, Drew, the the, the tide of opinion on, on Scott is, is firmly only in one direction now. And I don't really want to talk about Scott's future massively here. It's been done to death. Um, but, you know, we did say on a podcast not that long ago, even if Scott takes us up, I don't think he's the man for the Prem. Were we just being foolish with that kind of statement? Because you look at it now and you think that, that, that just can't, that can't happen. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Today is, today is about celebrating Scott Parker. But, you know, I've even said that we had a decision to make. But I think realistically, it would never happen anyway. So it's almost a moot point. Like he will be leading us into the Premier League. And do you know what? we've had managerial appointments in the past where I've sat there and I've said, I don't think he's the right person for the club, but I'll follow him. I'll follow him. Nonetheless, Laurie Sanchez comes to mind. Scott Parker, I'm more than happy to follow him into the Premier League. You know, it went so wrong last time. What have we got to lose? Do you know what I mean? It's we've already seen the absolute worst it could be in in the Premier in a Premier League season. The only thing that could have been worse is if we'd finished on the record number of low points. So that's not going to happen, is it? So touch wood. So you know, let's just <laughs> let's throw our support behind Scott. We've got five weeks to the beginning of this season. It's odd times. This is all odd. Let's throw ourselves behind him, and that's certainly what I'm going to do. Back onto the game. In the preview podcast we did, we asked Billy what Thomas Frank's tactics were going to be. Was he going to start with Emiliano or was he going to start with Josh De Silva? Emiliano, clearly the more attacking option, and where Josh De Silva is very much more the, the sitting back. We know, obviously, that he went with De Silva, and it looked like Brentford's tactics all game were to try and pick up on a mistake and, and counter us, but it just didn't, it didn't pay off, did it? No, I mean, I, I, I think that look, Thomas Frank is a good manager and he's got Brentford to this, this point for, for a reason. But I, I think he got it horribly wrong, if I'm perfectly honest. Brentford didn't look up for it. They didn't look like they were, you know, in the, in the fight at all. Uh, from kind of the first minute, they had a, a spell at the start of the second half where we were a little bit under the cosh. Uh, aside from that, you know, there are, there are real kind of, you, you look at them and, and, and think, you know, you've got some unbelievable players in this side where have they gone? It, it really mm. was one of those. And look, we we weren't equally. I, w- I would suggest until uh, until extra time. I didn't think Fulham were were brilliant yesterday. But what we did was we looked very solid, looked very composed. We knew what our game plan was. I assume it wasn't to take the tie to extra time, but it you know we, we looked like we had a plan. And I think in the first half we were the more threatening side. I think in the second half we weathered the storm reasonably comfortably. There's one chance for Ollie Watkins that springs to mind where he kind of fluffed his lines. And um, but aside from that, I, I didn't feel massively under pressure at any given point. And I, I think that kind of sums it up. Brentford just didn't really come to the party. Uh, you know the party that had been beautifully laid on for them. By, <laughs> by, by, by Sky by Sports, everyone else, by Sky Sports, by the entire media, who you know were absolutely licking their lips for Brentford to be in the Premier League, and and Brentford just didn't turn up to their own party, and Fulham took full advantage. Um, ben, your thoughts on the the tactical battle, and also Fulham's midfield, particularly in the first half. I thought Josh Onoma was was absolutely excellent, and un- and unlucky not to be on the score sheet actually. Yeah, I think the one of the things that stood out for me was um, how we collapsed off the ball. So um, by that, I don't mean obviously that we just felled really deep. I think what we tried to do is funnel um, Brentford into the middle, which is where we could break up all the play. 
Um, we could, we what we understood was that they were going to try and attack us in wide areas, and that's where they had scored so many goals from. Obviously, when you've got wingers like um, Ben Rama and, and Boimo, that's that's just what's going to happen. But we we took them away from those wide areas. We really started to strangle them throughout the middle of the pitch. And I think we spoke uh, briefly yesterday on Twitter, Sammy, where we, we were doing our Twitter live and talking about the importance of Josh Onomer in this system because he's going to act as a focal point uh, between that defence and attack. And what did he do yesterday? He was the, the focal point between that defence and the attack. He relieved so much pressure with runs, um, long-bursting runs. It was sort of like 20, 30 yards, um, relieving pressure, acting as, as as an out ball for Fulham. And I think you normally see that from a fullback um, in a lot of modern football um, to relieve pressure, or you see it from a winger. But to see it from a, someone that's playing a sort of mixture of an 8 and 10 role is quite unusual to see. And I think... Um, Josh was head and shoulders above anyone on that pitch for the best part of 60 minutes. What I did notice is that after half time he came out um, with uh, strapping against his hamstring and I think that that started to hamper him towards the end of the 90. Um, but I thought Josh was excellent yesterday. I thought Fulham out of possession were were incredible as, as Jack rightly highlighted. Excellent structure, um, really compact, really, really concentrated and uh, I think that ultimately that's what shut everything down for Brentford and what won us the game. Yeah, indeed. And because you can talk about two moments or whatever, but Fulham were the dominant side throughout. And I, and I think the deserving winner, when you look on the balance of, of play, uh, Drew, let's talk about Mitrovic, the bizarre situation. Um, he obviously didn't start. It was the big question before kickoff. I don't think Bobby Reed really got that much of a sniff yesterday. He does work very, very hard off the ball though. And I think that can be sometimes missed in, in the occasion. Um, but then Mitrovic came on with, with 10 minutes left on one good leg assisted a goal. Um, um, bizarre, but also kind of worked. Yeah, I think as well, if you listen to Scott's pre-match uh, interview on Sky, he he almost revealed that that was always going to be the case. Like Mitrovic was the secret weapon if we went to extra time, which he obviously you know knew there was a possibility that that, that would happen. And that's why you know he came on, uh, looked like he was going to come on sort of 78 minutes. And then there was that weird thing where the double sub never happened. It was just knockout coming on. And even then I'm thinking oh my God, are we literally bluffing Mitrovic? And like, we've got to the point where we've actually had to pull back. Like, <laughs> is this the weirdest, like sort of bluff capitulation I've ever seen? But I think he was always the extra time weapon. And I think, you know, the, the man is a tank, isn't he? And and that's probably the difference between Mitrovic on one on one leg in a, in a major final and Bobby Zamora, you know, he, he just played through it and ended up bloody assisting a goal. But it was, it was another example of, of which there were many yesterday where... Scott just got everything bang on. And, you know, I think that's more judgment than luck, to be quite honest with you. He had a, he had a fantastic night and, and Mitrovic highlighted that. Um, Jack, let's come on to the first goal. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely love I couldn't tell. I was celebrating and laughing I ju- at the same time. It was just absolutely beautiful. And I remember thinking what during that match. Well, <laughs> and you know the phrase, 
I watched Pot Never Boils. And I remember thinking that in this game. I remember every time we went forward, I'll be like, this is the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment we're going to score. I didn't think that was the moment or that way was how Fulham were going to take the lead. Credit to Scott Parker's set piece team, as he, he quoted it in The Guardian, who spotted that fatal flaw of David Rea to be so aggressively high on set pieces. And I love the little side eye that Joe Bryan does on um, just before he takes that free kick just to spot the gap it, it's 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 perfection yeah I, I, it's just beautiful like absolutely everything about it, it is amazing and I, I think that you know joe Bryan has copped a fair amount of stick and, and, and at times rightly so you know for, for his defensive positioning but what a what a strike and to spot that and be able to think okay this is something that's going to happen again in in the course of this game like David Rea does this and and you look he has had a mistake in him all year you know you forget the the ones that sort of slipped under his legs the the goals that have gone gone through him when we've had a back pass I think Fulham would have been like there is a mistake here we just got to find out when the moment is and and if, if Fulham have looked at that and been like I think there is some joy to be had there then you know what fair play because that is unbelievable coaching and unbelievable execution from Sir Joe Bryan uh, you know what more do you need to say? Yeah. Well, I, it feels to me a bit like our Trent Alexander-Arnold moment, doesn't it? In that, that corner against Barcelona, that quick thinking. And I remember th- watching that and thinking, oh, I wish we had a uh, a set-piece team that spotted weaknesses in teams like that. Or we just had a quick-thinking player that was able to execute that. But we do. And, and, and it's absolutely glorious. And what a way to win it. You mentioned, you mentioned Trent. I mean, that... It- Joe Bryan has all of the ingredients of of a really good modern fullback, except he's obviously we've we, we're talking about the defensive side. He sometimes struggles with, but you know I've said this before. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was all about you know the role of the fullback has completely changed. Players and kids in the playground now, you know, ten years ago, they, twenty years ago, they weren't trying to play and be Gary Neville. They didn't have Gary Neville on their shirts, but now they're having Trent Alexander Arnold on their shirts. They're having Robertson on their shirts, and they're going to have Joe Bryan on their shirts as well because you know the role has completely changed, and they can grab a slice of the glory because they've got that. Uh, attacking mindset and and Joe certainly has that for all of the defensive frailties and I'm just so pleased he managed to show it not once but twice yeah uh, there's a brilliant interview on the Fulham FC Twitter it's only just gone live I've only had a chance to kind of half watch it Um, Jeff Bruce does the interview and uh, he asks Joe whether he meant it or whether it was a cross because he'd had a, a, a a text from his mate asking the question uh, and Joe Bryan just comes back and says, uh, I'll meet him down at the, co- whoever this guy is, I'll meet him at the cottage tomorrow and have a cross off with him. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a brilliant interview. It's so Joe Bryan. Uh, he never takes himself too seriously. And yeah, I, I couldn't be more pleased for the bloke that he is the man that, that has taken us to the Prem. Jarms, let's come on to that second goal. Why is, why is Joe Bryan that high when we're defending a one goal lead? Cause he just likes running. <laughs> what a finish though it's it's a bit like Kearney's winner in 2018 the way he opened up his body and went across the keeper yeah I loved it I thought um, as usual Joe Bryan way out of position uh, especially in the 117th minute obviously you could argue what on earth is he doing but no I think it's a, I think it's a great run from Joe and I think to carry on that run I was thinking about it earlier when you're in that level of pain and you're that, that far into extra time but you know that there's an opportunity to score a goal like that all of the pain that your body's going through, you just put to one side. Um, it sort of it, it completely goes, and and you almost become weightless when you know that something that big is going to happen. And I think that that's just what Joe 
felt at that moment in time. And it's a great layoff from Alexander Mitrovic, especially considering he's on one leg. <laughs> um, but yeah, and an, an extra, uh, an extra special finish from a from a guy that had an extra special game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. The scenes in the Duke of Cornwall when that second goal went in, there were glasses everywhere, tables being flipped. Um, shout out to the staff in the Duke of Cornwall because they uh, they were very nice about it and very understanding that um, there was a big group of people just going absolutely mental at that moment. Um, Jack, of course, he made it a little bit difficult with that goal right at the end, but I actually wasn't that concerned when Brentford scored that goal, but just because it was so late like you felt like you surely it's there's five seconds left you're not going to have another chance here yeah it, it did feel like late enough that it wasn't the end of the world I was worried that he was gonna you know add on another couple of minutes you know for the celebrations for the for all the bits and bobs that kicked off but you know it was one of those where as soon as we kicked off you pretty much saw him put the, li- the whistle to his lips and I was like okay it's gonna be all right it's gonna be all right look it would have been nice to keep a clean sheet if I'm honest um but I did call it as two one Fulham, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that. And don't you just don't yeah, you just love those scenes in the net? Oh, I'm I'm effing and jeffing, go on, go on, Ronnie, bloody have him! I just love I love that, and you know that petulance at the end where they're trying to get it out and we're just stopping them. It's it's great. It's great for the uh, great to let out some of that stress in those final few minutes. Absolutely magic, magic game. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to kind of talk about the significance of yesterday's win, and we've got a load of questions as well. If you enjoy Fulhamish and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a positive rating and review. It really helps us to reach new Fulham fans across the world. If you don't use Apple but want to give us a review, head to the Fulhamish Facebook page and give us a rating there instead. Thank you. Welcome back to the Premier League podcast, the Fulhamish podcast with myself, Sammy James, and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Drew Heatley. Hola. And Jack Collins. All Joe Bryan, aren't we? So before we get into talking about the significance of yesterday's win, and of course, we've got a load of your questions as well. Just a quick word to say that Ben Jarman, exciting stuff. There are some Premier League additions to the merch store after last night's win. Some some top quality Wembley clobber that you can pick up. There is. If you go to shop.fullermish.co.uk, you will find on there some brand new... Fulhamish face masks inscribed with playoff winners 2020 on them uh, in the style of the Fulham home kit, um, geometrically designed by Adam Farkarson and uh, the rest of the merch team. Or you'll also find a playoff poster with the words of the Poet Laureate Jack Collins inscribed on them, also ready to put up on your walls at home. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. And potentially it's not on the site as we speak, but there may be a Life of Brian uh, Fulhamish t-shirt as well also going on there. I've only just seen a few designs in the WhatsApp group, um, but it looks absolute flames. It is very nearly there and we're hoping it will be on b- before the end of today, uh, if not tomorrow. So fingers crossed yeah. for that. Exactly. And always remember, life isn't black and white, but West London is. Hey, very nice. Okay, let's come on to the significance of uh, yesterday's win. It's five weeks until a Premier League season, um, which is an insanely small amount of time. I imagine the players will go away for a short break, but they'll probably be back at Motspur Park in a week or two. I mean, the whole situation is bizarre. And already from the the get-go, we've probably got the toughest 
transition into a Premier League season in history. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've what much has been made about what's happened last time and even Scott's referenced it last night. So I, I, I really, really hope that we've looked at that and said, we know we know we don't have a lot of time when you're in the playoff final, but even less time this time around. So we need to make sure that we right the wrongs from the last time. And I hope that we're actually doing that. But, you know, lest we forget, there has been a three-month enforced break anyway. The players have had a rest. Uh, I, I know that, you know, it's a bit... It, it's a bit, you know, not what everybody expected, but it's not as if we've been, they're going to be in playing for the last 24 months. I think um, it's almost better in a way to go straight back and carry this on. Uh, you, you know, we know what we're like from sort of starting from a standstill. If we can just carry on this sprint, that could stand us in good stead. Uh, but we know we need to strengthen and uh, and hopefully we've had an eye on that already. Yeah, I mean, Jack... Last time we went up to the Premier League, we were all talking about, oh, will Fulham, you know, be in the top 10? Will Fulham compete? I would take 17th and survive an on-goal difference right now. Absolutely bite your arm off for it. Yeah, absolutely. Of course you would. It's about survival that first year back. I think we've learned this, right? This is what this is what we have, you know, come to in where we are. We, we went up last time thinking, oh, yeah, we are. We're going to swashbuckle our way back through the Premier League. I love this word at the moment. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it didn't work. And, and this time, I think we're going to be more pragmatic, more kind of calm with it. I, I think this this side will will know their limitations a little bit more, perhaps. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, we're, we're not going to go and try and play Liverpool and, and City off the park in the in the way that we once did. Um, mm. I, I think we will be more pragmatic. We will take a slightly different approach. And I think the core of this side will probably stay together. I think Scott will have looked at the lessons of last time and, and thought, you know, you heard him say it last night, we're not going to be going and absolutely blitzing the transfer market again. One, I don't think we have the capability of, of doing that in, in the current situation. Not not that we don't have money. I'm sure that the Khans are, uh, are more than financially capable, but like the market's a bit weird at the moment. And players, people don't really want to sell their players because the current situation means that actually buying other players is, is quite weird. So I would imagine we will pick up some some experienced heads. There's already talk uh, of us being linked with Branislav Ivanovic. Um, yeah. It is quite random, but, um, you know, if we, if we keep Mitro happy, you keep everyone happy, right? And and that seems like... that seems like Are, we buying, another, are we buying another mate for Alexander Mitrovic? <laughs> yeah, it worked last time, didn't it? Um, <laughs> I just, but it is like, one of those. It's pretty grim if we're buying 34, 35-year-old uh, Ivanovic and expecting him to have like a really positive impact in the Premier League that's fast. I think it's a, what it will be is a one-year loan deal set up to basically make you know, make things a little bit sturdy at the back, a little bit more experience, a little bit more of a head. Look, I, I don't know if it'll go through or not. I, I just seen, I've seen the rumours. There's already rumours of us being linked back to Ryan Sessegnon on loan. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'd obviously love to have Sess back, but I don't know where he plays necessarily now because I actually think his long-term future is at left back. I just don't know if that's going to be for us. I think he'd have to play further forward for us. So I'm not sure quite where that, that leaves Ryan because he potentially a little bit in the lurch. I don't think he's going to play further forward for a side like Spurs. Um, so, but, you know, we, we've already been linked with these players and and there's a job to do. I think, you know, Tim Ream has been such a brilliant servant for this club. Uh, but I think on the, on the flip of that, he probably is starting to, to, to wane in terms of his powers. And, and we probably need to look at a more long-term option to partner Michael Hector at the back. Now, that might be Alfie Mawson if he's actually fit and does has a knee again. Um, but, you know, at this point, 
at this point, we, we've been talking about him for for two years and not really seen all that much of, of what he can do. So, you know, there's 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 questions to be answered, I think, and there are more work to do, I think, than we we have we give credit for. We're a bit like, oh, this squad is is more together, and I completely completely agree. But I still think there's quite a lot to do in this transfer market, and and it's going to have to be a tight job. And, and I don't know if you heard Tom Kearney last night talking about uh, his holiday. <laughs> in the in the interview after the game where he was no. basically like he was like i don't have a passport at the moment so uh boris can you sort me out because i've only got two weeks before i got me back in pre-season. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is, it is kind of one of those um i i think they will be back in pre-season soon but i think the jobs and the, and the business needs to be done early if, if we're going to to make a, a fist at this well, I think that um, there's a lot of work to be done. Obviously, when we went up first time around, there were clearly some flaws. We played very open and exciting football. And what happened is we didn't become more rigid uh, and defensively sound enough to survive. And um, Kevin McDonald admitted that in a really good podcast slash video series he'd done with a guy called Simon Ferry that came out yesterday mm. before the match. Definitely worth a watch if you've got a spare two hours like I did. Um but I think that there are areas of the pitch we need to work on. As Jack rightly says, there's a centre-half problem here. Although Ream's been excellent since uh, after lockdown, I do think that he, someone of his pace would really struggle in the Premier League and we need to look at a more long-term option. I think there are weaknesses at fullback too. And I feel like we need to get more, more speed up front uh, around Mitrovic. I think... One thing about Fulham is we, we play good football, but um, we're not a particularly fast squad in any way, shape or form. Um, we haven't got any fast wide players, I, I'd I'd say, really. Um, and the Premier League, you need that, especially if you're going to be a team that's going to counter a lot and try and soak up pressure, which it looks like um, we're going we're, we're gonna to do next season. Um, to be honest with you, I, I really have no ill feeling towards Fulham if we sort of shape-shifted into a bit more of um, a defensively robust side that looked to pick off wins against teams in and around us um, and just made it really difficult for for the bigger squads. Maybe if, like, I'm not saying we go to an extreme of playing like Burnley and playing presented percentages, but it'd be nice to have a structured football um, ideology in place that leaves us a bit more defensively sound than we were the first time we went up and that we recruited well and looked more towards the future than we... Than, um, than we have done in, in this past summer. But I don't know. I feel like there's there's a lot of work to be done. We've got a very short amount of time, but I hope that we can cover up the flaws um, for, for the next couple of months. Yeah, it's going to be an incredibly tough season. And of course, we will touch a bit more on it um, as the new season approaches on uh, September the 12th. Let's have a look through some questions then. Uh, the first one from Tom Greatrex. Uh, how's the head? Uh, I'll start with you, Jack Collins. Yeah, not great, but I had some Bucks Fizz for breakfast, so I'm feeling a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was not feeling great this morning. Uh, Drew and Ben, I imagine, maybe in a slightly better state? I'm all over the place, as you can probably tell from my contribution to this podcast thus far. Um, I've had about a total of uh, six hours sleep over the past two days. I'm basically running on empty, but I'm absolutely gassed, so... um, I don't know. I think I feel like tonight will just be the the be all and end all, and I'll just collapse at about nine o'clock at night and sleep until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> I I I'm, have a terrible head, but I got a, a relative lie until twenty to eight, so I'm actually feeling okay now. 
Okay, good stuff. All right, first question, proper question from Lucas. Uh, he says, just how well did Dennis pocket Ben Rama? Option A, amazingly well. B, uh, absolute pocket. Or C, smothered between house keys, hipster glasses and wallet. And has attached a photo of Dennis holding the playoff trophy with the head of Saeed Ben Rama in his pocket. Um, <laughs> excellent effort on the question Lucas <laughs> I absolutely love it um, jobs I mean it, it, it yeah but Saeed Ben Rama was the danger man but last night I mean if the Premier League sides wants him he needs to perform a little bit better than that it's a bit mad isn't it that somehow you can fit a whole uh, German car in your back pocket especially uh, in trousers as tight as <laughs> so um, yeah I mean the, as you say the hipster glasses uh, his bike lock keys, his car keys, his house keys, and then um, the BMW of Brentford also in there. So you can get them out one by one. Uh, we'll probably go for, uh, we'll go for Embuemo first because he was terrible. Then we'll go for Watkins because he only had one shot. And then we'll go for Ben Rama because he basically channeled his inner Anthony Knockart for 120 minutes. So well done you. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually looking through the questions, uh, most of them are not actual questions, just more statements. Um, Aussie Cottager, will anyone be cooler than Alexander Mitrovic smoking a cigar in the Wembley changing rooms after just assisting the winning goal in the playoff final on one good leg uh, and has attached said photo of Mitrovic uh, with a cigar <laughs> and Budweiser in his hands? I mean, Jack, my love for the man knows no bounds and, and uh, yesterday just, t- just took it to an- another level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine anyone being cooler than this ever, which is um, it's very Joe Burrow vibes for for all of our NFL um, listeners. Yes, yes, it, it feels very much like that. Um, but yeah, Micho just absolutely came on, did what he needed to do. Obviously, not completely fit. Obviously, struggled a little bit, but he put himself about, did what was needed, and and got the assist. And I think that ultimately he is he's staying at Fulham. That's um. I think that much is obvious. We spoke at, at length about the fact that if, if people, if we didn't get back to the Premier League, then there might be clubs coming in for a player of Alexander Mitrovic's calibre. Um, but given that we are now back in the top flight, I, I think Mitro will, will stay again. And I think the more the Mitro stays, the longer he stays as, you know, Fulham's number nine, as our go-to man up top, the longer, the less likely it is that he will kind of move on at any real point that that's where I'm kind of at with it I think the more we have these conversations and the more he's he's part of that conversation it, the more likely it is that he becomes kind of this figurehead Troy Deeney-esque I've said before but you know ca- uh, figure for this football club Lawrence Craven says on the Larnell Cole to Alexander Mitrovic scale of Fulham FC January transfer signings where does Michael Hector fit uh, Drew I'll go to you on this one. Oh, he's he's got to be right up there doesn't he I mean he's been he's been one of the talismans of of the whole sort of post January sort of sort of run he's he's right up there and it, it you know yeah absolutely I bloody love him I might even have to get him on my shirt next uh, year but it's great to see him like settle at a club and now he's going to be playing in the Premier league which i think is probably you know to be quite honest with you where he belongs to be in 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 uh you know uh mid to lower half of the premier league side and i hate saying things like that because it's always like damning with faint praise but he is you know it's it's going to be good to see him test himself in in the top league i i love michael hector's career journey and it got a bit of uh notoriety on on twitter the other day his senior career obviously he was at reading his parent club between 2009 to 2015 but his loan spells you've got a bracknell a didcott i have an award 
Waterlooville, an Oxford City, a Horsham. I love that he played for Horsham. A Dundalk, a Barnet, a Shrewsbury Town, an Aldershot Town, a Cheltenham Town, an Aberdeen. Then he moved to Chelsea, where he went back to Reading on loan, Eintracht Frankfurt, Hull City, Sheffield Wednesday before moving to Fulham. And he's got 24 appearances for the Jamaican national team. I mean, if that is not a career, uh, I don't know what is. I absolutely uh, love it. His header on Twitter used to be him picking up Messi or like hitting Messi on the head after he'd fouled him, which I think is elite shit houseery from him. I love that. <laughs> uh, just And just to kind of close that one off as a question, I would say what a signing right up there with Larnell Cole in, in the list of Fulham heroes. Jack Smith asks a good question. I'll go to you on this one, Ben. Um, do yeah. Seri and Agisa um, have another chance in the Prem considering they are both tied to long-term deals or do we accept the bid for Anguissa? I was saying last night that I think you have them both back. A problem that we will have going into the Premier League is depth. It's going to be hard to make signings even if Seri is just a man off the bench at first. Surely both of them back at Fulham is, is potentially a good option. Yeah, I think when you positioned it that way and when you take into the context of the of the transfer window being incredibly short and, and that perhaps COVID having a bit more of an effect on some of the other team's resources, um, it becomes uh, a little bit more difficult for, for Fulham to have that depth, as you rightly say. I would 100% keep Anguissa. I think he showed at, at, at periods the year before last what he can bring to Fulham. And I think him and he, Scott gave him a new lease of life in that run-in. We saw him put in some some incredible performances uh, against some big squads. And he, he played an excellent game against Man City, although we did get... Uh, to get spanked quite heavily there but I think Anguissa it's nailed on that you, you use him as much as possible if you can and then Seri I feel like he hasn't had a good year at Galatasaray didn't have a good year with us I think it's time to cut our losses on him if we can it's a shame as I say that Covid's sort of gonna wreck the market um, it's also uh, worth adding to the context that it seems like the Chinese clubs aren't paying above and beyond for mediocre players either so we can't exactly ship him there um, which is a bit of a shame. I, I just, uh, I just say, like you know, Seri is such a depreciated asset now. Like compared to the, we we paid over the odds anyway for him. I think you know, there's there's certainly been rumblings about the dodginess of that deal for whatever reason, and and. I, I don't know exactly echoing Sammy really. We we are quite clever, I guess, without being uh, Nostradamuses. And the fact that obviously, yeah, we we don't have a long transfer window and we don't have a huge squad, and we can recall some of these loans to bolster the squad. And if we can bring a Seri on off the off the bench every, you know, when we need him, and he can redeem himself and maybe plump that value back up a bit. Why not? We don't need to cash in now, do we? Really? So, and I don't, you know, it's I don't think we're going to get a lot for him if we did. So, I don't see any harm in keeping him. It just depends on the um, the impact on the, in the dressing room, I guess, which is a, a, an issue we did have last time. And if we're talking about all of these mistakes that we want to write, um, if Parker's been talking about that, he might mean that he's talking about the wounds that you can't see, and maybe that was a problem. Yeah, that's a very interesting point on Seri. And we don't exactly know his impact on the dressing room. I still think he's slightly unfairly maligned as kind of the poster boy for all of the failures of, of, 20, of 2018-19. And, and so I'd love to see him come back and get a second chance and look at who's been given a second chance this season Josh Onoma Niskins Cabano and they've a duo that have pretty much won us promotion uh, let's I'm, I'm all in the camp for, for giving players a second chance and a, and a chance to kind of redeem themselves at the cottage so I would love to see them uh, back in the squad um, so many questions here to try and uh, get through um, Nick Griffith says he, he's being a bit facetious here, but there is potentially a serious question. How much is Don Betts going to miss the championship? Um, 
I will miss the championship. Ben, it is sad to leave in many ways. Yeah, it is. It's it, it's so enjoyable in a championship. Obviously, you get two games a week, and when you're a really good championship team, um, you, you tend to win more often than not. The Premier League can become quite a slog, as we found out a couple of years ago, when you sort of culminate a, a league uh, campaign with six or seven wins. Um and you know you're you're backing a one nil win against Huddersfield like you've just won the World Cup, um, so it it can be difficult. I'm going to miss the championship for sure. I also feel like um, the championship is a lot closer, more competitive. Some of the signings you have to be really, really uh, you have to be really out there with your signings, and people can build um, great recruitment structures in the championship, uh, and they can spend money wisely. Where in the Premier League, uh, it's so the the gap between the top and the bottom is so vast. Um, that essentially it means there's uh, like three mini leagues within the league that you have to conquer, um, mm. and uh, yeah, it can be quite it can be quite tough. But I hope that um, from what we've seen at the back end of this season into the playoffs is that Fulham seem to be transforming themselves into a team that are a little bit more Premier League in the way that they play. They uh, they're able to hit on the counter. They're able to use the ball a lot more than they were at the, at the front half of this season. Um, and I'd say that actually, if we cover up those flaws, that we could, I would love us to finish 16th, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, 17th and uh, survival on the last day like Villa did would, would be absolutely fine by me. Although I wouldn't mind a season where there's a little less drama uh, at the end and maybe just, uh, I, I, I dream of the day we just finish 11th at the moment. It feels like season after season, Fulham have got some sort of drama uh, going <laughs> on. Um Jason says Callum Chambers back on loan. Uh, he could slot in. Jack, uh, I've heard worse suggestions. I guess the main priority, though, for, for Tony at first is going to be securing Harrison Reed's permanent deal. Yeah, that feels like the first thing that we have to do. Yeah, you know, get Harrison Reed through the door. Look, Southampton are going to Matt target us here. I think this is, you know, it's very easy to, to look at and be like, get it done. We're going to have to pay 20 million, I think, for, for Harrison Reed. And considering that Pierre-Emile Hoiberg just sold for 25 million or, or is going to be sold for 25 million, it seems like a lot of money, but I think he's worth that to us. Now, that's one of the things that, that you talk about and people always talk about big transfer fees and all of these things. It's not necessarily about how much they, they're worth in, in general. It's about how much they're worth to a particular team. Harry Maguire, for example, £80 million last year to, to Manchester United. Is he worth £80 million? Of course he's not. But is he worth £80 million to Manchester United? He might well be because they've you know knocked 20 goals off how many they conceded this year in the Premier League. That is, that is therefore a, a worthwhile signing. I think we're going to have to bite the bullet with Harrison Reid. I think we're going to have to pay a little bit over the odds. But because he is actually that player and he is so, so crucial to the way that this Fulham team tick, I'm okay with that. I, I yeah. agree completely with that. And I think what we'll, what we'll probably see is we'll get trolled with the permanent signing of Harry Arter first. But I think uh, it all depends whether, and I say that in jest, I'm sorry, Harry. Um, I, I think <laughs> it all depends whether we've had a deal in place already if we get promoted with, with Reed, And we've all deconstructed the wording in the um, in the transfer announcement when he came on loan. And none of us are any the wiser. But we have heard that there might be a deal in place subject to us going up, which are this, these are the sort of things now that are going to happen after last night happened where we didn't really allow ourselves to think about it um, but now they are a reality but I would agree with you Jack like it is literally the value to the the buying club and the selling club as well because last you know you only have to look at Leicester he was worth 80 million to them because they got knocked out of the top four and and United went into it so you know yeah I think uh, 
we can pay what we need to pay for Reed, I think he's completely worth it. And Jack, a word on Tony Khan. We had him on our podcast just over a year ago and he quite clearly, quite bluntly came on that podcast and said, automatic promotion is the aim. If we can't make automatic promotion, we'll do it through the playoffs. Jack, what would be your words to to Tony Khan? I think a few of us questioned his transfers last summer, but most of them have worked. Generally, He's got a big window ahead, hasn't he? Yeah, of course he does. It's, it's a very tricky market, as we said at the start. It's a very tricky role, and we've got to, you know, pull together. Look, what we've seen is a manager this season who has learned from his mistakes and and got, you know, just over the course of the season got better. I think Tony will be the first to say that not everything worked out last time, right? And, and actually, there have been some some issues that we've had that that have basically been, you know, things that didn't quite work. Uh, you can see the the thing beforehand. It was like we haven't got enough experience. We brought in the experience. They've got us to the, you know, back to the Premier League. We've had that conversation. It's been it's been done. So you know, we can say what we want about Anthony Knockart and even Cavallero, and and they're not producing to the extent that we thought they were going to do this year. But ultimately, that experience has got us over the line at the very end. And so you have to then look back at that and be like, well, were they good signings? Not 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 across the board, no. But like as as a whole we have succeeded in what our aim was, which was to get back to the Premier League at the first time of asking. I think that there are a big, it's a big window ahead. I would suggest that we we need some some depth. I think that's what we really struggled with last time when our first 11 weren't available. We really, really looked bad. And, and, and Scott's obviously got a plan. And, and I expect Tony and Scott to work very closely this summer, as, as well as with Javi Pereira, uh, to look at who comes in and make sure that they fit not only the kind of ethos that Scott is trying to build, but also the mentality the club want to work with going forward. Yeah. Um, ben, finally, from Harry Blakey, where are the new Riverside stands should Joe Bryan's statue be built? Um, oh, that's a tough one. I think we should just build a series of statues all the way along <laughs> the, the Riverside stand for Joe. So you can have him obviously like stood there just before the free kick and then it can almost be like a stop motion set of statues all the way down the Riverside stand. I think that'd be great. <laughs> and then we can put David Rayer in the in the Thames with a ball yeah. floating I think that'd be excellent. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth with David Rare in the Thames. All right. Well, hopefully um, you've enjoyed the podcast today. Some instant reaction. We haven't had loads of time to take in everything and really delve through all of the thousands of tweets and articles and uh, bits and bobs about Fulham that are out there but hopefully we've done a good enough job uh, not 100% sure what our plan is for releasing a podcast in the next couple of weeks we will probably take a, a small mini break at, at some point but obviously uh, with uh, the Premier League restarting on uh, September the 12th I imagine it won't be a, a very long break for us so Come on, Fulham. We're back in the Prem. We're back in the big time. And we are a Premier League podcast again. Jack Collins, what are you going to name the pod? Arise, Sir Joe. Yes, I love it. I absolutely love it. Sir Joe Bryan, thank you very much. You've made many thousands of Fulham fans very, very happy indeed. What a guy. Oh, I literally what, what a guy. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> I, 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 I replied to one of his stories on Instagram, just like, I love you. And I'm like, I'm a 33 year old man, but I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even bothered. Joe, come on the pot. Joe, come on the podcast. If you're listening, come on the podcast. We'll go down the pub and it will, we'll have a lovely time. All right. Uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, to Ben Jarman, thank you for being on. 
Thank you very much, Sammy. Come on, you whites. Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Thank you. We are Premier League. Back to Twitter for Drew. And um, thank you, Jack <laughs> Collins. Yeah, thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Joe Bryan. Thank you, Fulham FC. What a day. What a club. Premier League podcast. Premier League team. Come on, you whites. You whites.